This is The Corner Series, a McGuire Woods series exploring business and legal issues prevalent in today's private equity industry. Tune in with McGuire Woods partner Jeff Cockrell as he and specialists share real-world insight to help enhance your knowledge. Thank you for joining another episode of The Corner Series, where we bring together thought leaders and deal makers in uh, healthcare, private equity, investing. Here at The Corner Series, we have a few different corners. We have a capital corner, which is uh, private equity folks, usually a banker's corner for investment bankers, a professor's corner for kind of technical uh, elements. Uh, Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Edward Crawford, the co-founder and co-CEO of Coltala which does uh, some unique investment strategy and style that can be a a ton of fun to talk about. But uh, Edward, maybe give an introduction of yourself and Coltala, and we can kind of jump into the discussion. Sure, sure. So my name is Edward Crawford, originally from uh, Louisiana, moved to Dallas from Miami Beach actually uh, years ago and um, helped co-found Coltala. A um, little bit about our firm. Uh, we are a Dallas-Fort uh, Worth-based firm with offices in Dallas and Fort Worth. And we really focus on a mission and margin type of ethos or purpose to try to grow businesses, but also create jobs in our great country. The Catala purpose is to back exceptional leaders to build businesses that comprise the backbone of America. And that's really what we're all about. And our team is united around that. And Edward, you describe on your, your webpage, kind of forward-facing, that you employ kind of a missional investment style. Can you give a little color as to what that means? I've I've encountered folks that do kind of impact investing, which is investing in particular uh, companies that do certain impact activities. Mission type investing can mean different things. How how would you describe kind of your philosophy? Sure, sure. You know, our, our philosophy is we were blessed to live in an incredible country. Ralph and I have both served in various ways, uh, whether it's in the nonprofit realm or overseas in the military or Peace Corps. And we're faith-based guys as well. So um, part of what we do is we love what we do. We love finding great kind of servant leaders. And we feel that the businesses that treat people the best and uh, deliver the best product are oftentimes deliver the the best financial returns. And so our, our mission and margin ethos is if there's a true mission in the business, I'll give an example, our home health business, which seeks to uh, give the best level of care to patients in home health and therapy, but also in a business called hospice, where people are on their last um, leg of life, right? And so that hospice nurse is providing care for a loved one, a father, a a son, a husband, and that care is so important as they pass from this life into the next. And uh, we want to be in that business to deliver great care. So we look at when we could provide a mission and wrap the, the company around a mission they all believe in. We think that the margin comes along with it. And then we also think if you don't have margin, uh, you don't have a very sustainable way to help people through your product or service. Do you think there's a trade-off in that style of investing? I think your answer will be no. But if you're, if you're limiting your pool of companies by kind of an additional criteria other than margin, Do you feel there's a a trade-off on returns? We don't feel like there's a trade-off on return. We actually think it boosts returns. And and one example I would get is, you know, we've employed in some of our businesses something called a profit share, by which you, you know, allow everyone in the business to have a certain piece of the business through a profit share and taking home cash times their straight-time wages. And so we look at things like that and um, getting everybody involved in the growth of the business instead of just the top couple people in the business. 
And uh, we just think that that has implications for not only long-term sustainability of the business and lower turnover, but we think people work harder. And one thing I learned in the military is that some of the best ideas come from the people on the ground. <laughs> and you get a lot more ideas from people on the ground in the trenches in the business when you engage them in that regard and compensate them for the business doing well, not just their individual performance. How would you contrast your style of investing to what I'll call a regular private equity fund? Uh, and is it a straight dichotomy or more of a sliding scale? Yeah, I would say it's more of a sliding scale. Uh, I think we're similar to um, some other private equity groups in many ways. I think the misperception is that private equity it, you know, isn't there to, to build the business and make it better. I think uh, most of my colleagues in the business that I, that I know well want to grow the business and build the team. They want the team to, uh, to learn and grow. And so there's really a lot of you know, positive growth throughout the business. There are groups that will buy assets and kind of pull them apart and sell them for the pieces. But I think that's much more the exception than the norm. Uh, I believe that private equity you know, does a lot of amazing things in our country to grow, especially in our segment, the small and medium-sized business segment, the lower middle market, uh, does a lot to help people achieve, you know, smaller, medium-sized businesses uh, to achieve really good goals. You mentioned uh, your investment in home health and hospice, and I've done a bunch of deals in both of those sectors with private equity funds that wouldn't exactly describe themselves the way you've described yourself. When you look at that particular investment? Was it the the nature of the business and what the business does that makes it fit within your mission and margin model? Or was it the nature of the people that are in management of that business or some combination? Right. So in this in this case, it was a, it was discernibly a combination. So we like the mission of the business for sure. But in this business, we have a leader named David Jackson, who is actually a physical therapist by trade. And the uh, COO of the business was actually an LVN, Katrina Lanier. And so we had what we call in our industry a clinician-led business. And we have seen when somebody has committed to a profession and taking care of somebody as a nurse or taking care of somebody as a uh, physical therapist, that clinical component in understanding that person you know, David Jackson used to take care of Miss Smith and help her get better through physical therapy. So his experience in taking care of people, we think helps him and Trina become much better operators uh, because they understand the clinical piece. We also have seen culturally that a lot of people, you know, nurses, LVNs, therapists, et cetera, uh, really like to work with a clinician-led business. And so although we like the mission just generally of home health and hospice, um, we really liked uh, that this was a clinician-led team that truly had a mission and cared about the people. And it demonstrated that through their professions prior to starting this business. I can see the mission element of the business for home health and hospice. Does it translate some of those ideas into other businesses that may not have the same sort of kind of natural missional element? Meaning, would a widget maker be a candidate for you, even if the business doesn't have a missional element, but the team and their philosophy and approach to how they treat customers, how they treat employees, can it still fit within your model, even if the, the core business doesn't have quite the same mission elements? Great question. The, yeah, the answer is yes. Um, we have a business uh, right now called Pond Robinson. That business does things like inspect the Sears Tower <laughs> for very large investment banks and asset managers. So when assets trade large buildings or when people are building large buildings, they do the inspection. They'll do the ongoing um, 
monitoring as well. Uh, it's a combination of uh, architects and engineers. And so we, we think that business helps, you know, helps make sure that buildings don't fall down. And that's an important part of our economy. We've seen, you know, horror stories in Miami and other places when buildings weren't inspected. But in this business, there was a cultural element that we really attached to. The average tenure of a person at Pond Robinson is 13 years. And uh, they have a culture of taking care of one another, working hard together and growing the business. But it was very much a um, I, I actually look at it as an, a partnership culture similar to what Goldman Sachs was before the, uh, the IPO. And uh, just people really taking care of one another, committed to the business, wanting to do right by the business. And um, we've seen through the two leaders of that business that that culture has really um, carried through in the operations of the business. And so in, in that business, the um, yes, we think what they do for a living is a great thing and a benefit to society writ large. But we were really attracted to a collegial culture where we can do things like a profit share and work with um, them in that regard. I would think that your kind of intake as you're looking at investment opportunities has an additional filter that's going to screen out probably a number of companies that if someone didn't have your exact investment philosophy wouldn't necessarily screen out. How big of a a filter is that? Uh, Do you have to look at a lot more companies? Do people kind of self-select into your orbit or how does your missional posture kind of impact uh, deal sourcing? Yes. So um, I I would say we actually end up walking away from a lot of opportunities that others might go into. When we, uh, you know, we really care deeply about the character of the people, we have a a test that we call the, um, the would you leave your kids with the management team test? (laughs) Um, Some people call it the beer test or the Thanksgiving test. You get along well and we kind of take it a step further. And we also have a saying, you know, you know, that yellow lights got this from Ken Hirsch at NGP, but the yellow lights don't turn green. (laughs) And so when we see, um, when someone says, let's build this business, put lipstick on a pig and then sell it, we walk. When we see somebody who's talking negatively about their colleagues on the management team, for example, like talking bad about their COO, talking bad about their CFO and not being um, what, what we think in the highest character, we really look at the management team heavily. And so we actually do psychometric testing through culture index Um, And then given my background, I was a former Intel officer. We do some pretty deep background checks as well before we get deep into a business under LOI. And so that is um, that is something that has had us walk away from opportunities that looked great financially. But we just didn't trust the people on the team, you know, had had the same values we were looking for in a team. That front end uh, process sounds rather intimidating. Does that necessitate you looking more at businesses that are not in a full out kind of auction type process or does your system work in those contexts as well? That's a good question. So our businesses that we've we've acquired have been not in processes, right? They've been off market. We have looked at a couple businesses in processes as well. And I would say our system works in both regards. The way we evaluate teams is in a very collaborative way. And so we actually open ourselves up as, as Katala team and we share kind of our backgrounds and our, um, our psychometric exams. And that's what we do first. We say, hey, this is kind of how I'm wired. This is how Ralph is wired. Melanie, this is how John and Blaine are wired or Russell Hartsfield, right? So we'll walk through our team and, and talk about how we're wired and how we work together as a team and why our unique wiring helps us to work together because we all cover down on each other's weaknesses, Right. Ralph completes me where I'm weak at certain areas and vice versa and same with our team. And so we really lead with that. 
and then um, that that helps a lot of management teams to open up and, and share that kind of testing. It's like six minutes, seven minutes on that test. They can share that with us. And then we walk through and kind of educate the team on their backgrounds and how we see it as well. So it's kind of a collaborative approach. And uh, most, if not all, management teams we talk to are pretty open uh, to that approach because they get to learn about each other and themselves as a team. Do most of the companies that you're talking to kind of know what your kind of general orientation on this topic is, or uh, is it kind of get introduced during the process? No, I think they pretty much know. You know, what's interesting is we have, uh, we're, you can Google Kotala, and the nice thing about Kotala, because we came up with the name, kind of made it up, Colt is a horse, and then ala actually means wing or wing-like structure in Latin and in Spanish. And so Kotala is just a, a word that's not out there. So when people start to talk to us, they generally go on and do research on us a bit and kind of understand that. We've actually had, I would say, a lot of the people that we've uh, ended up working with have come to us and they either heard about us or were connected and then did some research and said, hey, these guys seem a little different. I don't know a lot of private equity guys that were in the Peace Corps, for example, right, or that sort of thing, and have come to us saying, hey, we kind of like your ethos. We'd like to meet you in person and see if that's real or if it's kind of just on your website, right? And so it's, it's helped us, I think, attract people. And I think most of the people we speak to are aware of kind of how we're wired through just quick Google search. You mentioned that you're your mission and margin investment strategy is a filter on companies that screens out a fair number of them. How often do you get the reverse of that? Whereas you get a little further into the discussions with, with a potential target and you're kind of discussing your investment ideas and how a company ought to be. How often do you find yourself getting screened from the other side? Yeah, I I think most of the people, and this might be just a self-selection, but I think most of the leaders that we speak to, they care about their teams. They've built something incredible because their teams have followed them, because they've earned a lot of trust and they're great leaders. And so we have not, I don't think, lost any um, that I know of in any in either a process or otherwise um, because of our ethos, right? If anything, I think it's just kind of refreshing for folks. We just try to be, you know, high integrity and trustworthy the best we can. We make mistakes and we will make mistakes. We try to apologize for them and ask for forgiveness, right? But, uh, but yeah, I don't think we've, we've really lost um, anyone because of that. Are you usually investing as kind of first institutional capital in? I would think the answer to that is yes, but does your kind of ethos and investment strategy also work in kind of financial owner to financial owner sales where you're working with the management team in particular as, as opposed to a selling founder? Uh, how does that play out? Right. We, we are almost always the first institutional capital into a business. And so that is really our, our bread and butter and where we do our best work. And a lot of times what works for us is there's people that haven't had institutional or private equity money in a company before. Sometimes there's a mistrust of the, um, you know, of private equity. And so our approach comes off a little bit different and in a kind of a collaborative way where we can do one deal a year, we can do zero and we can hold the business forever if we want, depending on the structure. Right. And so I think that comes off well towards some of the private business owners. Ralph and I have also both started businesses. So many of the private business owners are also the founders. So our approach kind of helps with that. You mentioned the profit sharing ideas is one of the elements that you might employ in connection with an investment with a company. Mm-hmm. Does your kind of missional ethos for investing have other implications for kind of deal structure or the use of debt? Um, does that connect to those ideas as well? 
Great question. I would say we use lower uh, leverage than a lot of our contemporaries. We, um, especially in this market <laughs> where we are right now, but I would say our structure is not so different. What is nice is we can do different structures, right? We can have founders roll heavily into a transaction. We can uh, do things like have a management team roll into a large long-term incentive plan funded in different ways. And then we can combine that with things like a profit share, which you can take you know, 8%, 10%, you know, 15% of after-tax profits, put them into a pool and have everybody from a line worker or truck driver, forklift driver, you know, realize, hey, the company did well this quarter, you know, I'm going to get a check on my desk type of thing, right? And so there are some structural differences. I would say a little bit lower leverage is probably one of them, but the rest can be fairly typical. Where does your capital come from? And is there a kind of corollary to this missional investment ethos on the, the fundraising and capital securing side? Yeah, yeah. So we actually have um, two uh, people on our investment committee that are our board partners, Daryl Bibelheimer and Scott Luttrell. They're on our website. Uh, both of them are strong men of faith, but have also built um, billion dollar businesses, right? So they've been very successful, but I would argue that they've, uh, they've led missional lives as well, right? And so they've been able to have their cake and eat it too, if you will. And so they inform a lot of our decision making. So those are Two of our investors, and then I would say most of our, we have um, LPs that we work with on each deal. We do each deal a little bit differently. And so we have sometimes different LPs for each deal, uh, but we have a core group. And I would say a lot of the values I've spoken to before that are shared with the Scott and Daryl, for example, are shared along uh, with our investor base. What is your uh, typical investment size or company size that you're investing in? And mm -hmm. does your kind of mission style investing play better at certain scales of, of targets or would that work all the way up the scale? We usually look for five to 15 of EBITDA. We can go as high as 20 uh, in the businesses. We think that, that our um, playbook can work in many different businesses. In fact, a lot of the Danaher playbook we utilize is used in very large companies. But we think it works better with the 5 to 15 of EBITDA just because there's, there's a lot of change and growth there where systematic approach is important. And part of our CES or Katala Enterprise system is putting in the structures that don't exist in a, maybe a founder-led business and building it to the next level. And so that's really done, we think, best once there's critical mass and a strong team, but it's not you know, 50 million of EBITDA, for example. You mentioned uh, KKR, and they uh, famously, what was about a year ago, implemented a structure, and I'll probably jumble this a little bit, where they ended up sharing a material amount of the sale proceeds with uh, line-level employees. Yes. Which was super interesting to see. And do you think that your style of investing and this whole idea of uh, kind of expanding who your constituencies are that you're thinking about as you make decisions – do you think that that is a movement on the rise and it's uh, becoming more prevalent uh, in even just straight mainstream private equity or is it still a little niche? I think it is a movement on the rise and becoming prevalent in mainstream uh, private equity. I mean, the, the fact that you mentioned that, you know, Stavros and KKR, this is, you know, the book Barbarians at the Gate was written about KKR and now they're sharing profit across the whole business. So I think that that almost answers the question right there. And I think it's great for companies. I also think with the internet and the ability to scroll Instagram and watch Netflix while you're working, there is a greater percentage of 
people, employees who are quitting in place and just not productive. They don't like their job, but they're not leaving and they do enough to get by. And I think it's difficult to cross across our country. And so the idea that you're involved in the winnings of the business, not just the top two or three people or the private equity firm, really changes that mentality and say, hey, I'm not going to sit at my computer today and just do my job and then go home at five. I'm going to take that extra step or, you know, I have some ideas that can make this company better. And so the bottom up approach of that, I think, is really helpful to companies and becoming more mainstream. I learned this in the military when a, when a general sent us a bunch of motorcycles to give to the Afghans. And we realized that the motorcycles were pre-assembled. We then had to assemble all the motorcycles, even though it wasn't our idea, and give them to the Afghan population, which ended up many of them falling into the hands of the Taliban. That was an example of a, a decision that was made from the top down without really asking us on the ground. <laughs> and so in business, it's the same thing. When you can get the ideas from the people in the factories, the people selling the product or the service, the nurse that's in the home, you get better ideas and better engagement. And so I think this is very much going to become mainstream, and I'm really excited about it. And I thank Peter Stavros and others for really pushing hard to make people more aware that this is not only good for people, but it's a profitable way to do business as well. Edward, I think we'll uh, uh, call it a wrap there. Uh, your investment thesis is uh, super interesting and it's uh, uh, fun to watch uh, your success in that. Uh, and I, I do agree that taking into account more constituencies is more prevalent and that there is a perception of uh, PE that uh, those folks are the barbarians at the gate. And that's really not been my experience. Uh, maybe one last question before we end. For sure. If this is a sliding scale and, and private equity investors can be at different spots, do you have any advice you'd give to a private equity investor that would like to incrementally move uh, further down that scale? For sure. For sure. No, I think one of the first things you can do is is the profit share uh, concept. And that's an easy way to get everybody in the business involved. And you can take after tax profits, a certain percentage of those, and then um, multiply it times the straight time wages um, of different folks. So you can have somebody making $40,000 and somebody making $200,000, and they're both going to get a piece of that profit share. And you can, you can track it monthly and then announce it quarterly is a good way to do that. And it, it kind of gets everybody on the same page and feeling like they're playing on the same team, even you know whether you're in the plant or the home office, or you're in your car on the sales team or a weekend warrior, it kind of aligns everybody around a common goal, kind of one team, one fight. And so I think that's probably the best step in that direction and, uh, and can help a lot of people, but also help align workers and increase employee engagement, which is a, a great thing to do. And with that, I think we will call it a wrap. Uh, Ed, Edward, thanks a ton. This was uh, great to hear about uh, your missional investment style and uh, good luck as, as you pursue that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this installment of the Corner Series. To learn more about today's discussion, please email host Jeff Cockrell at gcockrell at mcguirewoods.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This series was recorded and is being made available by McGuire Woods for informational purposes only. By accessing this series, you acknowledge that McGuire Woods makes no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this installment. The views, information, or opinions expressed are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily reflect those of McGuire Woods. 
This series should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state and should not be construed as an offer to make or consider any investment or course of action. 